We just finished Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. So Stephen and I are back with our reactions. Spoiler alert, my reaction is not good. Not good. Not good. So what are your initial reactions? A lot of the cinematography in this movie, continuing a trend for the last handful of Harry Potter movies and then Fantastic Beasts, the first movie, is beautiful. Cinematography, there's some great sweeping shots, some beautiful uh, establishing shots, and and some. there were definitely some choices made that I can get into, but generally speaking, I like the cinematography. I don't know if this, it's kind of a chicken and an egg discussion, right? Is the editing in this movie so bad because they had to edit around the poor writing or is the poor writing like, or the edit's just bad, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, the writing and the editing were just not great. Um, the writing was clunky. There's way too much going on. There's like, like seven or eight different plots that you're supposed to care about going on at any given time and the editing doesn't make it better because we get as we'll get to in this conversation the way the edits work all of a sudden you're jump cutting from one storyline to the next and it doesn't it takes a minute it's kind of jarring i i I don't know it wasn't it certainly wasn't my favorite movie uh what did you think of it if you watch this movie on a very surface level and don't think about the actual plot or the words but like just watch it you could enjoy this movie because it is it is very beautiful to watch like the magic scenes are very like orchestrated in a way that they're just fun to watch so if you're not looking much deeper beyond this is just a movie i'm watching people could enjoy it but we're not those people (laughs) Before we go any further, I'm curious, do you have written down where we had ranked all of the Potter and Fantastic Beast movies? Because I know I don't. Uh, when we did our Deathly Hallows Part 2 rewatch. I do. For you, this came right before Goblet. So I had this second bottom. Yeah. Okay, for where did you have? Bottom for me. And what was your second bottom? Um, Prisoner. Okay, interesting. Okay, cool. I just, helpful context for me as I think about this, because I certainly didn't remember. Uh, I knew it was towards the bottom. I didn't remember which one was worse in my head at that time. Um, also helpful for the listeners. So we, of course, are talking about, as Danny said, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, a movie that was released on November 16th, 2018. David Yates is back to direct this being now his sixth uh, installment of The Wizarding World movie franchise that he's directed uh, my boy from fantastic beast one philippe russelo does the cinematography once again mark day is the editor i don't typically call it the editor but seeing as i'm about to call him out for the rest of this podcast for how bad the edit was thought it was worth mentioning mark day was the editor who did all of david yates's harry potter films and fantastic beast one as well so he wasn't new to the franchise um, which could be an indication of if this is a writing or an editing issue where the, the blame lays. Um, Danny. Steven. In 2018, many, many movies came out. I'll ask you first, where do you think this movie ranked uh, in, the, in the top grossing movies of 2018? 
four. Okay. And would you care to have a guess if I give you some numbers here as to how much it grossed globally in 2018? Would your guess be A, 654 million? Would it be B, 791 million? Would it be C, 1.14 billion? Or would it be D, 1.3 billion? Let's go with B. So you are incorrect on both fronts. This movie is the lowest uh, ranking and lowest grossing installment of the Wizard and World franchise. In 2018, it grossed 654 million US dollars at the box office, putting it 10th on the 2018 top movie list. Before I start listing the movies that were there, Danny, any guesses as to what else came out in 2018? Marvel movies. Okay, that you got a little more specific. There's like uh, 74 of those. 2018, maybe Endgame? Is that the year of Endgame? No. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so I'm going to list the top 10, and then I thought about this a little bit this morning in terms of where I think if this movie was executed well, it really should have finished. So number one was Avengers Infinity War, bringing in $2.04 billion dollars. Number two was Black Panther, $1.34 billion. Number three, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, $1.3 billion. Number four, Incredibles 2, $1.24 billion. Number five, Aquaman, $1.14 billion. Number six, Bohemian Rhapsody. Fox making an entry in the top 10 here, uh, $904 million. Number seven was Venom from Sony, $856 million. Number eight, Mission Impossible Fallout from Paramount, $791 million. Number nine, Deadpool 2, again by Fox, $786 million. And finally, Fantastic Beast: The Crime of Grindelwald, $654 million. Danny, hearing that list, just hearing the names of the movies, never it, going in to see the movie, before you had seen it, if you knew those were all the movies that were coming out in 2018, where do you think this should have ranked? It'd probably be... Six to seven. That's exactly right. There's that's two powerhouse of well-known franchises being released in the same year. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Right, like I think the two Avengers, you know, Avengers: Infinity War and Black Panther, the Marvel movies at the top, those make tons. You're not going to displace those. Uh, Jurassic World, right? Bringing back Jurassic Park, I think huge entity that you're not going to be able to topple. Uh, Incredibles 2, family movie, so you get tons of money there. Pixar, and people waited a long time for the sequel to that. Aquaman, especially back then, uh, there was tons of buzz around. Jason Momoa, that's all you Yeah, so so right after Aquaman, right, I can make an argument that going into the theater, I would have put Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, ahead of Bohemian Rhapsody, ahead of Venom, ahead of Mission Impossible, ahead of Deadpool 2. Certainly the, the only one I would question. Venom is the only one I would question because cool. there is a strong fan base around it. But I agree with the rest. Yeah, it, sure. Um, that said, Bohemian Rhapsody did finish ahead of Venom, um, okay. which interesting in and of itself. Anywho, point is, movie really underwhelmed. Yeah. Um, we talked about this last time. Well, you started to talk about it before I corrected you because you were off by a couple years and a whole friendship. Um, one year. And a whole friendship. Um. What? No, more than one year. 
you, you were all this movie Fantastic Beast One came out in 2016. This movie came out in 2018. That's two years. But we didn't, yeah. Uh-huh, one year yeah, I'm cor- I'm yeah, I'm correct yet again, is the point here. Danny, do you want to talk about your memories of seeing Crimes of Grindelwald in the theater? This was our first year of friendship. And what an awful year it was. And we were both living in such places that we did not know a lot of other people and wanted to be able to talk about this movie. And we coordinated seeing this movie. I think we ended up seeing it within like 20 minutes of each other because yours got delayed because you were on East Coast and I was in Central Time and something happened with your screening. So we got out right around the same time. Yeah, I saw this in IMAX in Tampa with Shan Chan and Dave. Shout out to Shan Chan and Dave. That movie, that movie going experience was actually momentous for me in that after the movie, I was sitting next to some randoms on the left to the left of me and Shan Chan and Dave to my right. And the randoms mentioned something about this YouTube channel that had tons of theories about what was going on with Crimes Grindelwald. And I should check it out. And they said something like super something brothers. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try to remember that. And anywho, fast forward three plus years now. And I watch super Carlin brothers every week obsessively. Um, so that was great. Um, yeah. My memory, uh, you know, besides that only other thing I'll say is the, the movie poster that came out for this is something I still want. Uh, the IMAX movie poster for crimes of Grindelwald. It's super psychedelic. It's like a yellowish background. Grindelwald's face is kind of superimposed, almost like some like subconsciously there. The Deathly Hallows is very faintly visible, kind of framing the characters. I very specifically want it in the 27 by 40 size, the original, the size you would have seen when you went into those big glass panes at the movies, right? Um I have yet to be able to find that anywhere. If you are listening and you have a lead on that or you have one, I only have one good kidney, so I can't really offer you a kidney. Um, I'll offer you whatever, some limbs. I don't know. my I don't know who would want my DNA because like I don't know if I'm really a catch if you're looking for that, but I'll offer you that. You know, whatever it takes is the point. Let's start from the top then. Opening of the movie. We have that. We're back to that dark, later Harry Potter movie feel. Hedwig's theme is playing as we mm-hmm. open up and we go through the clouds, which again feels like a very something that I keep coming back to throughout this movie. A very intentional choice to keep seeding Harry Potter moments into this movie. Yes. I will say this one had a bit more fan service than Fantastic Beasts. A lot more. Uh, was Abernathy's accent so strong in the first movie? I'm not sure. I'm like thinking about it and I only hear him talking like in my head. I hear him talking to Queenie. Yeah. And it was like, there was a little, it, it was just kind of like this weird, like old timey kind of accent. His accent is much more noticeably central European for lack mm-hmm. of a better phrase in this movie. Yeah. And I caught that right at the beginning. Then when, when the, the carriage, the very cool carriage, might I say flies off. Nobody questions that Abernathy walks to like the ledge 
and like stares over the ledge for a minute before then uh, disapparating. Like once he disapparates, fair enough, some shit's up. But when he's standing at the edge of a skyscraper's ledge in the rain, is no one like, hey, everything okay, man? You, you, you good? Also, why does Grindelwald get a pet? And why aren't there spells to keep from like people randomly like operating onto this carriage? There's a whole lot of things going on. Um, I did. I did like seeing Thestrals again. That was a nice. That was a nod that I enjoyed. Was the Thestrals? Two questions I have about the carriage fight. A. Why does the wizard inside the carriage never use his wand? Like when when Grindelwald, Abernathy, Polyjuice, whatever is transforming, and then this fight ensues. The, the 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 wizard, the victim wizard inside the carriage in the gray jacket, the ministry guy, Never just kind of like using his hands to fight. Yeah. He's got a wand. I didn't understand that. The other question I have, why did Grindelwald do that weird, creepy, like, look, peek through the glass twice just to see what was going on in there? And then, like, he kind of, like, popped in, looked, and then popped away. Like, twice. It was very odd. Yeah. That was a, another thing I found odd. And, like, yes, we know it wasn't his actual wand. If you know this wizard is very dangerous to the point that you have, like, believed to have cut out his tongue, have, like, sedated him all max, why do you even consider putting his wand in the same carriage as him? Even though it's not actually the wand, I feel like it'd be smarter to keep those two things separate. Yeah, so anywho, that happens. Um, I'll say it. Again, when we get to both of the instance, or I guess when we get to the other instance later, but between the, the Makuza American Ministry in Fantastic Beast One, seeing the British Ministry here, and then seeing the French Ministry later, all of the the ministries are respectively gorgeous, and the way that they shoot yeah. those scenes are just really, really well done. Yes, um, like it was really fun to be back in the British Ministry and to see more. So, like friends, we had seen that corridor. Um, that new is doing his weird foot fetish thing. And we'd seen that before. That's yes. like where Umbridge's office is in uh, uh, Deathly Hallows. What we hadn't seen is when you looked up and all those offices where it's almost like they're like in like an, it looked like they were homes kind of in like a street, like in an alley. Yeah. But they're office windows. It was very cool. Yeah. And no, I enjoyed seeing more of that. Uh, my next comment literally just says, uh, Newt shoes, insert Stephen comments. Throughout this movie, Newt has, uh, I got more. So so Newt has his foot fetish here where he stares at Lita's feet and immediately knows it's Lita, which should be raising some flags from the get-go here. Um, ba, 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 ba. Hang on, I, I have, have more. a comment on that one. Go ahead. So, and I've noticed this more like in Newt's character is he really doesn't make eye contact with people. So maybe like shoes is just the thing he, I don't know if it's necessarily fetish-ish. I know you think it is, but maybe that's just how he associates people because he really doesn't make, even like with Tina, he does not make eye contact with her. Jumping ahead a little bit, but he has this foot thing here. Then when he gets to France, he walks into a very serene, normal day, quiet day in the middle of the the the, the magic part of Paris. The and Paris immediate- Diagon Alley. Yeah. 
And like nothing's going on. There's no commotion, nothing. He just starts raising a ruckus, doing this weird blow magic, and then like hones in on her feet on the ground. You're probably sure you're right, but I am choosing to believe that he has a foot fetish and that this movie is just rife with tons of opportunity for him to get close to feet. Anyway, um, one odd thing, which I don't think it's that odd. This movie, and I didn't do the research before this podcast, but I had read a bunch about it in the lead up to its release. And then after it was released, this movie had a ton of reshoots, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say issues, but there was, there was a lot of moving pieces of production. And so I think that that explains what I'm about to say, but there's a lot of super close-ups of Newt, Theseus, and Lita in that scene right there before Newt and Theseus go into the, the hearing I have to imagine it's a byproduct of reshoots and not wanting to re- recreate the full set or whatever, because mm-hmm. like the camera pushes in very close and kind of plays ping pong, jumping back and forth between the three of them. Yeah. Who? So, so a couple things. Credence is alive is a thing that is just dropped with not a ton of explanation as to why. And, and everyone then, seems to know it. Yeah. And then who is the same old Scamander guy, Grimson? And that's also a question I have, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm wondering if like, did more of his stuff get cut in the edits? Yeah. Well, so again, this like, is and, where... they, and they just couldn't work around not having him in those two random scenes. You really see him. Yeah. I think fundamentally, I think fundamentally the, the writing is too clunky. I think there's way too much going on that your eye kind of has to get drawn towards. Therefore, a lot of stuff gets muddled. I think Grimson, I think my boy Yusuf Kama, I think the whole Lita Lestrange baby switch thing, which is integral, but I think was written not so well. Uh, the Irma de Guard, which is part of the baby switch thing, I suppose. There's a lot of things here that if this was a book, I think is a really damn good book. Yeah. But because it's a movie, really struggles because there's way too much weight in terms of where you have to pay attention throughout this movie. Yeah. I feel like in this context of a movie, it would have been better because of how it was written to write the actual book and then translate it rather than the other way around. Well, that's an important distinction. And let me just confirm this before I start making up sentences here, left and right. Fantastic Beasts 1 and 2, as hopefully the listeners know, Right, are inspired by the textbook from Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That is a textbook that was released in physical form for us regular people to enjoy, right? But it doesn't tell a story. It just is like an encyclopedia of creatures. It is, it is the book that Newt writes in movie one. Right. And so the reason I am establishing that is to your point, there is no, even though there is a Fantastic Beasts book that's out there, it's not a book like Harry Potter's book. Right. And so these movies from one and two were both written by JKR. They were not um, like a re- adapted and then written by Steve Cloves, like the Harry Potter films were. Steve Cloves is a producer on two, and I believe one as well. But the only writing credit goes to goes to the author, which. I think um, that's where we lose a lot is because. She is a book author, not a screenplay writer. And there's two very different mediums there. Yeah. And projecting ahead here, lots of reports for the upcoming Secrets of Dumbledore that the movie 
uh, the, the author handed in her original script to Warner Brothers and they went through significant rewrites and brought in Steve Cloves to help rewrite the script. Um, I'm hoping that means that they're simplifying things and, and, and condensing a lot of these plots and making it a lot more A story, B story, C story, yes. and then a couple runners because th- there's just way too much happening here. Anywho, um, what did I have next? Um, Grindelwald and his headquarters. Yes, and the weird killing all the people, then the weird child scene. Yeah, the weird Harry baby flashback. That's what it felt like. I will say, and we can talk about it maybe, we can talk about it later. Uh, Actually, no, let's talk about it here. I think it actually works here because it happens in this scene. When Grindelwald, yeah, when when the guy says to him, how come we can't just go take Credence? We know he's at the circus. And Grindelwald says, like, no, he has to come to us. Let's go set it in motion. I think, I don't know, I wouldn't call this fan service, but I think this movie does a lot to establish direct kind of visual allegories and and verbal allegories between Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts, right? The scene of that, that French kid staring up at Grindelwald felt very much like the Harry Voldemort flashbacks we get in Potter, right? When Mm -hmm. he's in the crib um, saying he must come to me, all that. Of course, the difference here is I think Grindelwald is way better and way more fascinating and way more complex of a yes. leader than Voldemort. Voldemort is kind of like the the watered down kind of like like wish version of yeah. Grindelwald's of Grindelwald. like the true villain. Like he has all the plans. Like Voldemort is more just like he Get must come to me, but then he starts blowing shit up. Yeah, Grindelwald like has all these intricate things going on and all these different things he's seeding and waiting to come to fruition and like. It's 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 far more intellectual and complex and a lot less shock and awe and power, which I thought yes. was I think is one of the highlights of this film. Yes. Um old timey London looks really cool. Mm-hmm. People seem to care a lot less in old times, even though there's like this whole even though like the whole crux of these movies is theoretically the relationship between wizards and muggles, people seem to care a lot less about doing magic in public. Yeah. Like the guy with the umbrella. the umbrella. And there's a lot of other moments too where it's like, well, that's blatant. Like, how do you explain? Like, half of France just got destroyed. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, anywho. Um, then we get Jude Law, Dumble Daddy, Dumble Dam. Um, that in the flesh. Initial moment of seeing him and him like looking back over his shoulder and he has like the Dumbledore twinkle. He just encompasses what I have thought of like. Dumbledore. Yeah, I think it is completely fair for anyone who's come on this podcast before, Carrie, Paula, to name a couple that I did I distinctly recall, who say it's too soon to tell how they feel about Jude Law. I think it's fair if you want to say that. In my mind, he's the best. Yes. He Richard ha- again, I this is no disrespect. A lot, a lot of times in sports, we talk about did a team win or did the other team lose? Let's be clear. Richard Harris does not lose against Jude Law. Jude Law just wins. Yes. Um, absolutely incredible portrayal in my mind. I don't, as people love the joke, and, I don't know well, how we go. I don't know how we go from Jude Law now to Richard Harris in like 40 years of canonical time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, fair enough. That's like, you know, whatever. But still, I think Jude Law nails it. Uh, I think so too. And part of it might also be that like, Yes, Dumbledore is integral in Harry Potter, but in this, he has a lot more like 
meat to give to the story. Oh, as as they heavily intimate during some of those scenes, he has a lot of meat that he wants to give to. He's the wrong to word there, and as soon as I said it, Woo. boy, oh boy, uh, there's a whole nother mirror of Harrison scene they cut out there. Um, yeah, I look, I think they actually hide this pretty blatantly throughout the movie. The amount of times Dumbledore says, "I cannot move against Grindelwald," or "I can't." Yeah, right. Not that he won't or anything; it's that he can't. Which, yeah. you know, it's all a perspective and how you hear it thing. But it once you know the truth, it's been staring at you in the face the whole movie. Yes. They're like it was specific wording for a reason. Yeah. So next, unless you have anything else from the Dumble um, Windy. Just the dropping of the Fox storyline. Yeah. It's yeah. like we know it's like a foreshadow moment, but it's in there. Yeah. I'm also curious of like why it must be Newt, but yeah, it, it, yeah, I don't know. Um, I got nothing um, there. I agree, and, but I got nothing. Yeah, the next thing I just have is Baby Nifflers. Yeah, this felt directly like a people loved this in the last movie, so it's let's make like five scene. more of them and make a whole scene dedicated to them. Which brings up another point I have here: Newt's basement. Like, give me more of that. Yes. Right. Like, I would love. I love the Kelpie scene. Well, that is only confusing because in A Court of Thorns and Roses um, and in many other fantastical, mythical uh, set writing, Kelpies are like these uh, severely dangerous, lethal creatures that like lure and kill humans. And meanwhile, Newt's like riding one in his basement. Um, it looks like a big seahorse. Like it looked like a seahorse with seaweed on it. Yeah, that's and that's kind of so. Per the uh, Wikipedia, a kelpie or water kelpie is a shape shifting spirit inhabiting lochs in Scottish folklore. It is usually described as a black horse like creature able to adopt human form. Hmm, interesting. Um, yeah, I love Newt's basement. I think there's just a lot of cool stuff happening there that like a long like a series or a better movie would have explored in a lot more yes question if it's about bunty i'm ready these are my let me okay i don't understand like why everybody loves her i understand why they enjoy her wand because her wand is pretty cool but everyone seems to be obsessed with bunty what we understand her point but she seems like people want her to be more integral to the story the moment where she says the take you should take off your shirt she she specifically says perhaps you should take off your shirt it made me think of like awkward Ginny Harry scenes no I love this this was a lot more maybe because they're adults and not like awkward 14 year olds yeah but it's like laden with so much sexual tension oh yes every look every like the whole thing um she makes her thirsty cameo here. You see her in in the the trailer or whatever we're calling that teaser. What what are we calling what's been released for Secrets of Dumbledore? Um, I think it's considered an actual trailer. Okay, whatever whatever has come out for Secrets of Dumbledore as of late January here. Um, you see her there, so she's set to come back again in some way, shape, or form. Um, which I'm personally excited for. I know in that trailer you also see the boy. Uh, Yusuf Kama, I'm a lot less excited for that because his story, I just I, it, well, anyhow, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine um, 
Jacob shows up with Queenie. Yes. Uh, and Jacob says, hey, no, get over here, you maniac. And I thought that was probably the best line in the movie. <laughs> Love that. Um, here's a question I have for you. The 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 tears, the 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 rain from the last movie when Jacob says it only erases bad memories. And I didn't have any of those. Newt had to have known that, right? Like Newt kind of acts surprised, but like Newt is like the creature master. But are we also believing that's how and that Queenie didn't actually do something to bring his memory back? There's, as far as far as we know, there's nothing Queenie can do to bring his memory back, right? So the movie yeah. tells us that's how it worked. Yeah, there, there. So the movie tells us that you know only bad memories were erased by that. I didn't have any. Queenie also helped me remember the bad things or the other things, right? So that I have to take it at face value. Mm-hmm. Which at that point I'm like, well, Newt should know this, and he. Well, it was also a test run of what Newt wasn't positive, but is pretty sure he could do that. But also, how does Newt define Jacob's experience as a good versus bad memory? All I'm saying is, if I'm writing and directing this movie, I give Newt a smirk at that point because he knows that he had this... the smirk suggests that Newt knew this was a thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, like, you know, like Newt, they, they, Newt plays it, you know, um, Eddie Redmayne plays it as like genuine surprise. Like, oh, that's really how that, okay. And like, to me, it would have been a lot more effective if Newt was like, yeah, that's what I had wanted. I'm glad that Queenie helped put the dots together here. Yeah. Anyway, um, I love after the, the potion has been uh, removed from him, extricated from him. Very nice to see you. Where the hell am I right now? London. Ah, I always wanted to go here. I, His great lines. It's great. Like, Dan Fogler is just phenomenal. Yes, he does so good with like that comedic response. One question I have for you. I'm, I'm curious if you noticed anything throughout the movie. The spell work that is used throughout the movie. Did you have any sort of reaction to it? As in visually or the the etymology not like i think i've just accepted that like in at this point in the movies they're not gonna occasionally they use words they're not always gonna use them it, it, i just what i don't understand is like for instance newt when repairing the postcard says papyrus reparo which like papyrus paper i get it yeah why wouldn't reparo just work but then conversely at the end of the movie when they're fighting the big blue dragon mm-hmm. all they say is finite yeah so like, I don't, I, don't under, I don't understand when they choose to be hyper specific with the language and when they choose to be more vague with the spell. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not totally following that. Yeah, um, which I don't necessarily. That's one of the things where, to your point at the beginning, if you're just watching the movie, it really doesn't matter. But the first movie asks a lot of questions about use of magic and application of magic that it doesn't answer, and I'm fine with that because it's the first movie. The second movie continues to ask more questions about use, application, and philosophy of magic and definitely doesn't answer them. So it's just, it's a growing ledger of questions that I have. Um, what do you have next? The entrance into Paris's Diagon Alley. It feels really like in the middle of the muggle world. 
Yeah, I don't understand. Like, so this- I... Like the Leaky Cauldron's like on a Muggle Street, but it's not like just some statue literally in the middle of the street that happens to probably regularly be a stopping point for security guards. Well, so here's a question I have. So for St. Mungo's, we know that it is made to, the facade is made to resemble an old out of, uh, out of business department store or whatever. (laughs) Do we know, like the Leaky Cauldron has, you know, like a, you know, it has an enchantment over it. Do we try to figure out the right way to phrase this? Is Diagon Alley like physically a space that the muggles just aren't aware of? Or is it because like so the reason I'm asking is because the French, what we're calling, I guess, the French Diagon Alley here is literally just superimposed right over the muggle, the same exact layout. So in my like, is there a whole different dimension that they're going into for that? Because that doesn't make any sense. Right, like St. Mungo's makes sense because Because it's an actual building. Right. I've always assumed that there's just some massive enchantment over Diagon Alley in the UK, right? That just looks like a bunch of rundown, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever. Or it looks like shops or office buildings or something. Right. It's a physical space that wizards have co-opted. Right. The French Diagon Alley, if again, I'm not to get the listeners confused, that's I guess what we're gonna call it. Right, literally just looks like it's like superimposed right over the existing muggle space, but not in like a co-opted way like like St. Mung. I didn't understand that at all. I don't understand because then I'm like, is it like a crazy undetectable extension charm and it literally is in this statue? See, that could be it. Or does that statue transport you? Like, to, like, is, yeah, it, is this a multiverse? Like, does it transport? Like, I don't, I don't does know. It, does it move you across space to like another it's location? A, it's a really cool piece of movie making to show yeah. that. I but like, it doesn't make any sense. I like how the entrance works. I don't like the location of it. Yeah, the location's odd, but I don't understand. Like, I don't under. Yeah, it, it's a great movie moment that doesn't translate if you think about these movies yes. at all from like a show bible canonical what are they trying to do here yes agreed the the circus do you want to talk about anything that happens during the circus because i don't really care um the only thing i have is uh our entrance to nagini which was a huge reveal when they were first teasing like like they kept who that character was under wraps for a very long time until right before the movie released yeah, there's been a theory going around the internet the past couple of years since this movie came out that Nagini and Credence are only speaking parcel tongue to each other. And so that's the reason. But that can't be true because Nagini speaks to uh, Irma Dugard, mm-hmm. speaks to a couple other people whose names I'm forgetting in this moment just because I forget the exact scene. But like that theory does not hold up. So I yeah, I don't, I don't follow that theory. It'll be interesting to see if they try to just change that in future movies and be like, Oh, she always was. If she wasn't our bad. Um, cause well, cause like, then, yeah, yes. She's like the maledictus. She's part snake, but she's also a human person. Yeah. Well, right. But if she, the theory is you, cause you always see her with credence. Yes. Right. And even in a lot of those scenes of credence, she's doing a lot of like, talking with her eyes like not a lot of vocalized talking so i can see why people would think that but it can be disproven by she has conversation with other characters throughout the movie yeah anyhow just something i 
picked up on. I thought the shot of the circus packing up with the house elf was really, really cool. Yes. Again, really great cinematography, really great shot. Use of comma, it just makes no sense to me. The character, I don't understand. And Tina, once again, is not very good at her job. Mine literally just says Tina trusting random dude. Like Tina is not good at her job. No. Tina, I'm not saying she's a bad witch. I'm not saying, yeah, whatever. But much like- It's supposed to be like a spy here. Yeah. And she just takes this guy that she's never met at face value and be like, sure, show me the thing. And I feel like you'd have like your hand on your wand. Like she ends up locked. I I don't get it. it. Much like Fantastic Beasts 1, it's just like these confusing moments where she's just like blatantly outmatched for reasons passing my understanding. <laughs> Next, we get Skull Hookah. And like, I remember this is a credit to Binge Bogues. I remember them talking about this. Like when they looked it up on Pottermore or like on Harry Potter Wiki or whatever, it's literally called like the Skull Hookah. Like there's not some more complicated thing for it. But again, there's a lot of weird blowing magic going on in this movie. There is. Because Grindelwald twice or three times uses the skull hookah to blow out some form of image. Newt does that weird thing where he is not allowed to be in France, yet walks right into the middle of the French magic area and then makes a whole big scene with blowing magic. I have so many questions about that because you have that and then you have like he uses it like to hear things like what is going on with the wand? I don't know. I really don't know. Very bizarre. Um, Cliffs of Dover. Those were actually the Cliffs of Dover. Yes. Really beautiful shot. Gorgeous. Um, she has eyes like a salamander. Don't say that. <laughs> and then again here, get the blowing magic. I just, this is where I'm like, hey. So two things. Well, I guess one, two, yeah, two things. The, the weird fisherman guy who gave them the port key. When he literally try, when he literally threatens to out you in exchange for more money, Real Politique says you kill that man or you take him prisoner because 20 galleons or whatever to keep quiet. If someone offers him 30, he's going to take it. So like at that point, you got to get rid of the fisherman guy. He's got to go push him over the cliff, move on with your day. But what if that fisherman guy is your only source of getting out of the country and returning to said country? Well, no, there's other, why can't they take a regular train? Why can't they? The channel doesn't exist, but why can't they take like a boat? Or, like, they could take muggle forms of transportation. They're inconvenient, but they can do it. Yeah. All I'm saying is, if someone threatens to out your big secret in exchange for money, they'll out it in exchange for more money. But this is also Newt. Newt is not going to just kill someone. Stuff him in your case and tie his hands and say, when we're done, I'll let you go. Because he's a liability. He's still not doing that. He's a liability. Then Newt shows up in the middle of Magic Paris and so I mean, he might do that, scene. but Newt's not going to do that. Yeah. Newt makes a whole big scene. Yeah. Trying to stay hidden, not allowed to be in France. Look at me blowing gold dust everywhere. Go to like, pro- like if, if this street is just like Diagon Alley, busy street where a bunch of people are going to recognize you. Your face has been in the paper. Your brother's a war hero. People know you. And the, the quote here from Newt is, she has incredibly narrow feet. Have you noticed? Just come on. Come uh, anyhow, French ministry, gorgeous. Um, Queenie's anxiety attack breakdown, whatever I thought was like painfully well done. It was like it was beautiful, but also heartbreaking. Here's a question I have mm-hmm. Grindelwald, as we've established, has all these plans, right? And they're like, like multi step, like they're not like Voldemort's very step one, step two, we're done. 
Grindelwald's like, hey, step one, I'm not going to see you again until step 30, yeah. but I'll see you again at step 30. He's got long-term plans. Baltimore only had an initial, let's get this kid dead. How does Vinda find Queenie? Because like, for all the planning, Grindelwald could not have planned that. Grindelwald could not have planned Queenie to come to Paris because Tina was in Paris. Like, but weren't they both just in the French ministry? Like it was But she didn't see but she didn't see her because she was pushing Abernathy old lady into the elevator. Yes. So like like how does Vinda know that there's so many questions. How does Vinda know Queenie's magic? How does Vinda know? Cool. And by Vinda, I mean by extension Grindelwald. Yeah. How do they know that she's a seer or whatever she's Well, because then the question head? is, is Vinda also some sort of like legitimate or that she can sense it because th- when she started talking to Queenie, Queenie's mind went silent. Uh, so she's like blocking. So is there something that connects in there where like, even though we don't see her notice her in the ministry, was there like, there's someone here that yeah. has this. I had accepted that as movie making, right. It's a very classic thing, right. To have like the hustle and bustle of a city and all of a sudden someone taps you on a shoulder and all of a sudden everything else kind of zones out because you're talking to someone. Mm-hmm. I had kind of gone easiest possible answer is the right one, but that would make sense too. Anywho, like that's one where it's like that he couldn't have planned for that. Like, cause then once he meets her, like he clearly puts a plan in motion there. Like, how does he know all like, there's just so many questions. Maybe she is because well, there's so many questions, but there, but well, no, cause Abernathy didn't know. Cause it's like, well, maybe there's the Abernathy connection there. Cause I was like, why would, why use him? But like, yeah. But he wasn't aware of that. Anywho, next thing I have written is dead Irma. I got nothing to say there. Dead Irma. I don't understand where she lives. She lives in like the rafters of a building that looks like a, it almost looks like a penthouse for a Mm -hmm. person without a home. Like, cause like, it's not really like a living space. It's like a bunch of, it's like in an attic. I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, Grimson. I don't understand Grimson at all. Like he's able to go into walls apparently, which was yeah. bizarre. Um, <laughs> next, you're in the the sewers. That again, two weird scenes of people live here. Because first you have Irma in the rafters of this building. Next you have Yusuf Kama in the sewers, which also have a dungeon in them, like a cell, which I didn't fully get. Um, and he goes, you see, either he dies or I do. And then just like passes out, which is just hilarious. Um, the Zowu. So based off this scene with the Zowu, do we think we get another creature dance in Secrets of Dumbledore? Because it seems like that's going to be a yeah, thing. Is that there's that- going to be one creature where Eddie Redmond has to do some crazy dance to uh, calm down. Yeah, that all that feels right. Um, see, my and I honestly is, enjoy them because they're just really amusing to watch. See, I think this scene or this transition is the best example of what I was talking about, where the editing is just really rough in this movie, right? Because mm-hmm. after the Zoe was in the case, New Tina, Jacob, and Yusuf uh, apparate out, and it's a jump cut. Right to Travers and Theseus and the ministry people operating onto the bridge at Hogwarts. And so your eyes like, well, these people just operate out. These people are showing, but they're different people. Yeah. Like, it, it wasn't I, a good. I, I, I can see the editor. And again, I don't, I don't really know who to like, quote unquote blame here. I can see someone saying, well, there's operating out of a scene 
we can just apparate into another scene. But they're different the different storylines like or different would it would have been better to go go to Flamel's place and then go into this other scene yeah or just have more of an establishing shot for Hogwarts like something or have them walking away and not apparating some something okay so um, when the trailers for this movie released this was the scene that everyone lost their shit for was seeing Hogwarts again how did you feel about seeing Hogwarts again? With the oh. music, like it was like very like Oh, well, I think what they should have done is they should, because the different directors for the Harry Potter films changed the layout of Hogwarts up until about I think finally in Goblet we have a solidified Hogwarts. I think in order to be respectful to the canonical timeline that Chris Columbus set out, they should have designed Hogwarts for this movie to look like Chris Columbus's, mm-hmm. where that bridge doesn't exist, like Technically, that's the Hogwarts that we see in 19, when does Harry first go to school? 1992? Something like that, right? That sounds right. Yeah. Um, Because he's born in 80. And so, yeah, 11, 1991. The Hogwarts that we see in 91 does not resemble... I say this in jest, but they should have been more, you know. Yeah, was, but also, like, the walking across the bridge has become a thing for this. That's all they bridge. wanted. That, yeah. That's all they cared about. They wanted the bridge, well, because they used it again at the end of the movie. All they cared about for this were the bridge. They cared about serotonin from the Great Hall, gratuitous shot that has no reason to be in the film, mm-hmm. and then giving us names of last names that we recognize yes and the boggart scene um yeah which is like in a Dumbledore's not a defense against the dark arts teacher well we're told he's not allowed to be anymore after this which is how they explain that away yeah but it's i know i know look but that's not the biggest issue i have with any of this shit no biggest issue anyone has but gonagall who should be not even in utero at this point is now teaching as a full-grown adult he's teaching also even if it is her she would never run after a student. It's McGonagall. Yeah, none She's of it not makes, chasing a student. None of it makes any sense canonically. I think like it's it's a serotonin boost they try to give you here, and it works. But if you think about it, it really doesn't make sense. It, yeah, like because there's some fan services where I'm I'm okay with this, but this one I'm just like. Yeah, the Lita flashbacks. I understand why they have them in there because it's important to tell that story of. And this Lita was another visual representation back to the Harry Potter movies was Newt in front of the window was very similar to Harry in the front of the window. I forget which movie it was, but he's in his room and it's just him in front of the window and it felt very similar. Yeah. I kind of skipped through a lot of the flashback stuff. Just mediocre to me. The Boggart scene is just there to it, it, it's there. They need to tell us the Lita baby falling in the ocean mm-hmm. thing. And so they set it in the form of a bogger and they set it with the loop, the very lupin The lupin like, class, yeah. Yeah, so like whatever. Then you have Lita and Albus in a much dissected scene that many people have talked about that I don't think we need to spend too much time on no, where he I'm says not. confessing is a great relief of burden or so I've been told. Yes. Or I want to know if we ever find out how Newt is actually expelled. Yeah, I feel like we'll get some shitty flashback in Secrets of Dumbledore and if there's a fourth one, you know. Um, Yeah, so then we get Queenie and Vinda and then Queenie and Grindelwald. Mm -hmm. My question 
Is there a moment that occurs in that townhouse that Queenie is magicked, whether it's the imperious curse or some other form of of controlling potion, magic, whatever? Because you, I don't understand from. I, I understand that she's gullible. I understand that she believes in love and I understand that she loves Jacob, but the heel turn at the end of this movie, coupled with the way she shouts at him does not feel true to character. I have always felt that she has been magic at some point, even when they meet back up in the meeting and she's like, weirdly, like she's almost reflecting how Jacob was when he appeared at Newt's with like the very high excitement. And she kind of has that. She's like, Oh, you're here. Great. Let's, let's watch that. Like it just, it, it does not feel true to her character. Yeah. I personally believe she's somehow not with a love spell, but like magic in some way. And in some way that she believes is enough to walk through the fire at the end. Yeah. And and it's a, well, it's, it's an interesting couple things, right? Because I actually think it's really smart movie making to show us her rejecting the, the insistent teapot. Yeah. Because, like, theoretically, that's how one would be poisoned, right? Like, something like that. So yeah. you see her reject that, which means she has her alert up, right? She has her senses guarded. Yeah. So then they're going to tell us in a future movie that she was magic, right? And that also would explain why she has that weird shout when she goes through the blue flames at the end because everyone else walks yes. through it all the other and believers like, walk through it nothing yeah the one guy like who dies makes that yelling yeah she makes the yelling but still makes it through so yeah I, I have to believe that and i depending on how they explain it and how they show it in future movies this could be really well done um, yeah. i don't know if i have so much faith in their ability given how clunky it's been so far but um Mirror of Erised, which doesn't really show desire, because apparently it also shows memory. Because you see Grindelwald yeah. and Dumbledore's kids, which it shouldn't have done. Yeah. Unless 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 they're saying that's what he desires, is to go back to being a kid again with Grindelwald. Like, desires to have that friendship again, and it's just being shown through them at a previous state. Right, but the way it's filmed very much is like a. I'm showing it's, you the memory of us making the blood pact that I'm showing yeah, like, you with me and Grindelwald as adults. Like they could have done that easily with a pensieve because we've seen Dumbledore use that, so it would make sense that he could easily be like looking back at his memories. Yeah, the the Flamel house. We don't meet Flamel here. We see the house. Uh, I want to be clear about that because we'll talk about Nicola Flamel later. The eye parasite is the grossest thing in this movie by a long shot. I didn't need to see that. Um, when Jacob says calamari, I, in my head, I was like, oh, that would be something Stephen would have responded with. No, I would have been throwing up in the corner. Well, um, like, not in the sense where you watch someone pull it up his eyeball. Yeah, well, um, Tina leaves, Jacob. You didn't mention Salamanders, did you? Which is funny. <laughs> That's because you've got Middlehead, one of the funnier lines, I think, in the movie, too. Um, how does Newt know that there's a box in the French ministry that has the genealogy? Because Newt says to Tina, like, there's a box in the ministry that will confirm credence, blah, 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 blah. I wonder if because of Newt and Lita's previous relationship, 
he knows more about her than he lets on. And because that's the only thing that would make sense is that he's aware of it because of his friendship with her. But, but see, this is where I get confused because it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Like there's like no, why is, but why is that the thing Lita would like, I don't understand. Divulge, yeah. Like no. it doesn't seem like it's not, I don't think it's a significant thing to have like the, the, the wizarding world in terms of amount number of families is not like overly numerous. Yeah. Right. So it's not like they have to keep millions of records, but there's a nut. It's not like they only keep records for certain people, but like, I don't understand why Newt would know that there's yeah. like that. The French ministry keeps these records. Like, I don't, yeah, it's, I don't understand how he comes across that information. Cause know. like, it's something that either Lita's told him. And I don't understand why she would, or why like she would care to tell him. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. Or the other answer is Dumbledore has to have told him, but I would have loved to have seen that when they're, in the, the 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 London bus, the parked bus at the beginning. Yeah, but like, then hey. I also want to know why how Dumbledore would also know this because well, when- Dumbledore would know because you just know, Dumbledore knows things because he's ancient yeah. and brilliant and well connected, right? Like if you say to me, "Hey, who would know that the French Ministry has a department where they keep genealogy records? Mm-hmm. Dumbledore or Newt?" I don't Do think, think I don't think twice that Dumbledore has that information. Like, Do I don't we have to know think about that it. it's like a department that keeps specifically genealogy records. I don't know because in my head it was more like a like a bank vault. Yes, like a bank safety deposit box where people can store things they want protected. Perhaps I don't know, but either way, it either is something that is so inconsequential because it's a common thing for people to do. Mm-hmm. that I don't understand why Lita would have shared it in the first place. Or know. it's something so consequential because it's super critical that I need to have seen Dumbledore communicate that to Newt so I know how Newt knows it. Yeah, It can't be somewhere in the middle. It has to be one or the other. No, you're right. Um, I thought the Grindelwald from you for you phrase pivot was really well done like i thought that's a really clever piece of dialogue mm-hmm. like what do you want from me from you nothing for you everything i never had like, i thought that was really really good do you want to talk about nicola flamel this is one of the moments of fan service where i would I, I enjoyed it i like this throw into seeing him we get a glimpse of the philosopher's sorcerer's stone I thought it all fell flat. Like, I feel like they needed two more scenes with him. Yeah. I, like, to round I, him out a little bit more. We need more information, but I did like that he was the safe house. Yeah, was, sure. I'm on board with that. It almost feels like for as little of screen time as they give him, it would have been more effective to have him not be at the house the whole time. Like you never meet him. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't like need- you could glimpse the stone. You kind of know where you're yeah. at, but you never see him. Cause then like the thing with the book and then like, no, you have to go. Like, right. like I could, we also are where he has a wife. Like, like you, like you re you reset that whole scene where Jacob is just looking around for food. It's like a lot of books here about alchemy. And then you yeah. see the stone. Like, Oh, that's nice. Like, you know, like, cause it was supposed to be funny though, when Nicola Flamel kind of pitter patters across the floor and then the yeah. hand shake. Like, Looks it like just, a ghost. Yeah. It, it fell really flat for me. I just didn't need it. Um, so I don't know. Um, when Tina in the next scene 
uh, binds Theseus and Newt damn near uh, has to have a change of, of pants. Mm-hmm. Um, thought that was great. Super terrifying French records woman, as I described her um, immediately when they first show up at that. Well, here's the, so here's a question. Here's what I don't get. Newt and Tina come in and they have to deal with her and they go in on the ground level. Mm-hmm. When Lita shows up like 30 seconds later, she doesn't have to go past the terrifying woman theoretically because all of a sudden she appears on this top level. Why are there two? I didn't understand that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Under- like my only thoughts to make it logically make sense is we've already seen Lita here with Theseus and that she's already in the ministry that maybe she didn't have to go through like the check-in process, but, but it still doesn't but no, Cause this is cause the check-in process exists with it's, it's like a sub room yeah. within the greater security of the ministry. So like either you have to go through it or you don't, why do you have to go through it for one level, but you don't the other, but both levels have the same access to the actual material. Didn't understand that at all. Did not compute. And the salamander moment that everyone loves anything you want to throw in there. No. Great. Uh, I wrote in all caps here, terrifying French records woman because she comes more scary. Yeah, I love the movement of the records room and yeah. how it just like moves. Again, in space and- this is a moment where the spells, I forget the spell that Lita uses to turn around the thing when she spies mm-hmm. Pickett, but she uses like a very specific, whatever the Latin word for like rotate is. Like, yeah. You, it was a it was like papyrus reparo instead of just saying reparo it, it was, was a similar thing um i wrote next the two things i wrote so i'll let you take over should you desire i wrote the strange tomb none of this makes sense whole flashback boo so i got nothing here um anything you'd like to talk about from this whole set of scenes um it it was like trying to get all the pieces of what they've laid out solved in one scene so that they can move on to the next big issue. Yep. Um, Next big issue being the rally inside of the chamber. Mm -hmm. Um, Thought this was brilliantly filmed, brilliantly written for what it's worth, brilliantly acted like Grindelwald walking out and you just get the shadow from behind him of his hair and his head, right? His speech. Uh, I thought that was all as brilliant. One question I had when he does the, the, the skull hookah and shows World War II happening. Mm-hmm. What's your interpretation there? Is he show is he trying to manipulate the crowd into thinking that they are going to be subjugated by these muggles? Is he just showing them the destruction and might that muggles will use against each other, destroying the world? Does he genuinely believe that? Or option three. Does he genuinely believe that this vision he's seeing through the skull hookah is what the muggles are going to do to them? Because if so, he's kind of like Melisandre from Game of Thrones in that he's seeing the future, but he's not seeing the whole picture. He's only he's kind of misinterpreting what he's seeing. Yeah. Um, I think he's trying to show that this is the future that's coming. And not necessarily that he believes that they will be subjected to it because of the muggles, but as a way to show that 
we want to avoid this and we need to stop letting the muggles because like in the first movie, we know based on what Newt has said about the war and being with dragons, that he was also involved in it. And therefore it wasn't a muggle versus wizard thing. It was both sides were involved. Yeah. I don't know where I fall on it. I don't know that I necessarily care where I fall on it. I just, that was, I'm curious what their intention there was. I'm not sure that moment felt like it was more important to show Jacob's response for the Queenie situation versus everyone else in the audiences. Yep. Um, I, and again, talking about Grindelwald's ability to plan ahead and kind of gaslight people essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Like the way that he keeps talking very softly, very calmly, knowing that someone's going to jump at his words. Yeah. Like, absolutely spot on. Um, next, I have, in all caps, with an exclamation point, the flame of truth. Um, we've already talked about that. We've already talked about, I also do want to point out, in some of the original uh, concept art for the movie, they had black flames. And I think in the script, the flames were black. When it came out on screen, they tried to render it. It just didn't look good, so they went with the blue. I like that, actually. I, I like the that. blue. It's also already a dark scene that it's yeah. just yeah, you, need a, it, you need some color in there i think it works we already talked about this before when talking about queenie and if she's enchanted or not i do think if she's not enchanted there's a severe devaluation of her character here because like it really che- I, I you know i i don't know i feel bad for the character of queenie i think allison Sudol portrays it wonderfully um but like it, yeah uh, the Lita, look, this is another thing where I'm like, this was stupid. When Lita's like, I love you. Uh, both of them. But it's worthless. Because I don't, I'm not invested one iota in Newt and Lita. I'm invested in them as friends. Mm-hmm. And I'm invested in that she clearly, they have a close bond. But I am not invested in whether she was saying I love you to Theseus or Newt. Because I, all I care about is Newt and Tina. Exactly. Like, there, if there is anything there romantically it's very one-sided and it's not on newt yeah i just don't like i don't like we've already seen him made that distinction with the picture in his case yeah i i just don't i don't care at all like i care about the characters and i care about their relationship i that scene was meant to be like the big provoking question of what she's saying i love you to theseus or Mm -hmm. i just don't care it was like trying to make a love triangle that hadn't been the setup hadn't ever been there minus the accidental article just to throw tina off you know i really at the end of the battle when grindelwald disapparates away the i hate paris line felt like it was out of pirates of the caribbean like he delivers it flawlessly, it just doesn't fit within. <laughs> yeah, the movie it's like or a weird scene. It's like a weird comedic button to an otherwise very serious thing. Well, not even just that. It's like a weird comedic button for a character who is not the comedic right character of the movie. Yeah, it, it, like he's it, been very like straight and very set in his way. That's a weird comment from that character. It's a classic Johnny Depp line. Like yes. it's something that like. He delivers flawlessly, but it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why. I guess. Hmm. Feels like Dumbledore probably wants to have this meeting not on the bridge and instead like inside a private room. It's like they're showing off the blood pack. It's a whole big deal. Mm-hmm. And they're just having it out in the open. 
whoever is inside the castle can look out and see all this happening. I understand they want to do the scene of just Newt and Dumbledore walking across the bridge together and leaving everyone else behind. But like, it feels like you want to have a little more privacy for, for this type of conversation. Yeah. What do do I know? Um, Jacob just staring at a crumbled down building, not knowing what he's looking at. Is he? Well, he's a muggle. Or has he been brought inside the magic? That's what I'm wondering. Like, I kind of would love. He to has to have been brought inside the magic. Again, I didn't. Pay, quite... I've read it. I haven't. I didn't think about it when I was watching to pay attention to his face at the end of this movie. But I'm. I'm See, I didn't it. even. I didn't even think twice about this scene. You're right that they're at that they're they're asking a question about. Again, there was something philosophy. about. I had read and I didn't think to look at it when we were watching this is that someone said he looks very confused during this whole scene and that's what they correlated it to. So I would have to rewatch the scene to watch Jacob specifically to see. My assumption is that much like when he's inside the French magic areas, you know, much like when he's inside of mm-hmm. Makuza for that matter, he's just brought inside of the magic he's, through association. He's past that yeah. point of. It's a good question, but it's one that perhaps has an yeah. oversight. If, if they're trying to ask that question as movie makers, I did not even think twice about it. Yeah. Um, which is a miss on their part, then, in my perspective. Uh, and then we, we wrap with Nurmengard and Credence and Queenie and uh, Grindelwald. Anything you want to talk about here? Or I do just, we want to get I into feel the- this scene leans more to Queenie being spelled because she is useful to Grindelwald because she can gauge where Credence is at. Yeah. I, I don't disagree at all. I, but um, I, I, do, I don't disagree whatsoever. Yeah. We are going to try to stay away from any theories yet because we will be having an entire episode on theories coming out after this one. Um, favorite character. Who won the movie? Or sorry, that's not right. Let me start that over. Who won the movie? Favorite scene? Most surprising thing? I think Dumbledore may have won the movie. And I know he's not in it a lot, but you can see him orchestrating things. I want to be clear. You are saying the character of Dumbledore, not the actor Jude Law. Oh, I don't know. It might be Jude Law. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> can just, I have I'm, both? I'm just clarifying just so. Yes. Um, Cause I, I always love Newt, but I really think, and I, well, I think Johnny Depp and Grindelwald obviously have like a huge part in this movie, but watching Dumbledore's movements of when he is bound to not be able to do something and how he is manipulating in a way to get things going feels like they're going to have to show us the flashback in a future movie, maybe this next one, to the actual formation of the blood pact, because I think the language is going to be telling. Because yes, what I, does it mean to move against someone, right? Because yes. yes. he is hunting down Credence, moving against, like before, before mm-hmm. when he was still in the circus, right, at the start of this movie. Is going to Paris to get Credence technically moving against Grindelwald? Right now that Credence is in the protection, quote unquote, of Grindelwald, it, w- it would be. But 
I, I will be very, it, it's much like the prophecy in that I think the words really matter because I think they're going to dictate. And we're going to need to know what those words are. Yeah. Um, best scene and most surprising thing. Best scene. I really love the um, Grindelwald conducting scene. It's just, it's just beautiful to watch. He's straight up like conducting an orchestra with magic. Um, surprise me. I didn't hate it as much as I was expecting to hate it. I'm not saying I loved it, but when I started watching it, I was into it enough to actually pay attention versus being like, can this end already? On that, I've only seen this a few times. I haven't rewatched this one a lot. And it's been quite some time. So there was no like major recollections of this movie for me. What about you? Yeah, I think as for who won the movie, I'm going to go two different actors and I'm going to split it between them. I think Johnny Depp and Jude Law both won the movie with Dan Fogler being a very close runner up. Um, Dan Fogler (laughs) was quite frankly, like the only, they they tried to put a lot of levity in this movie. And the only times I actually laughed or smiled were at Dan Fogler's stuff. Um, he again is just a tour de force in these first two movies. Um, I thought Grindelwald, Johnny Depp's portrayal is something I will miss in these films. And we've talked about this before. I'm not going to do a whole soliloquy here yet again. Uh, feel free to go listen to our past episodes, either on Fantastic Beasts 1, where we talk about it minimally, or a full episode where I shouted for a while sometime in 2021. I'm sure you can find in our in our backlog of episodes. Um, I will miss his portrayal. Um, I thought it was spot on to the both the brute force but also the deep chill that he's meant to evoke i thought it was really really good and jude law as dumbledore um absolutely nails to your point the twinkle in the eye the kind of the one of the things that is associated with the twinkle in the eye but isn't talked about as much is dumbledore's ability to turn phrase and use words very intentionally and specifically and you see that both whimsically, but also plot importantly throughout this movie. Um, I thought it was really, really good. My favorite scene is either all the Grindelwald stuff at the rally, from him walking out to his speech, the music they have underpinning all of that, and then him conducting, I thought was absolutely beautiful in a haunting way. You're right. Um Runner-up, just to give a different one than what you gave, is Jacob at Newt's townhouse. Uh, so good to see you, you man. Get over here, you maniac. Right, I thought that was really good. Most surprising thing, I, I dislike this more than Goblet. Is, um, do you still dislike it? Well, no, that's a new movement. You're moving yes, it. To I'm the... moving it to the bottom. Here's why. Um, Goblet struggles for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one of the big ones being they removed so much in adapting the book into the movie that you lose what the core of that plot is about and the way they choose to reset it for the movie. It just does not make sense. This movie suffers from the opposite in that this should have been a book that they whittled down, but because it's just the author writing the screenplay, there's like 18 different plots going on and it's too clunky. There's way too much going on that 
theoretically all services the same end goal for the movie, but it really doesn't because there's just, there's way too much. Like one of the biggest questions that people were Googling after this movie was released was, was the ship that Credence came over on the Titanic? And like, if that's where we're at as a fandom, like that's an issue, right? Minerva McGonagall's birth date, that's an issue. Like there's way too many almost red herrings that aren't intentional. Like they're not intentional red herrings that, that the writer put into the movie, but there are things that are drawing my eye and my attention away from what the movie's about that are to the detriment of my experience enjoying the film. So that was most surprising for me. Um, I know you don't want to do theories. I am, I'm curious how you feel having just wrapped this movie, thinking about what's coming next for Secrets of Dumbledore. I am, I'm going to go with what I hope to get out of the movie. Um, Since we are going to kind of dive a little more into theories and other things. And we will have a guest on for that one. So this movie ended at a point where, and we've talked about this during the Harry Potter movies where, there's no hope at the end of this movie. Like everything seems to have gone wrong. Queenie is gone. Everything's very dark and bleak. Like there's, we see Dumbledore is now kind of like they're working towards figuring it out, but we don't know where this goes. I really hope for one, the storyline is a lot better that we get some actual plot and a through line without all these points. I would like some clarification on some things and I'm hoping we get some of these plot holes just solved to a point where we don't have to worry about them, but I don't know if they can do all that in one movie. I disagree that there's no hope. I I, I agree with everything you said up into that and that the scene with Dumbledore and Newt on the bridge, I think is hope abundant, right? Yeah. Like, 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 I think that I, I'll let you finish, but I, I, that's the one thing I really, I was like, huh, I, I actually think there is a lot of hope. I think it's dark. You're right. I think it's ominous, but I think, I think there's no hope if they didn't have the blood pact, right? If they didn't yeah. physically have it in their hands. Like I think if Grindelwald still had it yet, yeah, no hope. Okay. No, you're right. You're right. Because they do have it. There is. Yes. Thank you, Niffler, for saving the day, for giving us hope. I'm cautiously optimistic because of the changes they made in preparation of going into the third movie. Yes. I think if they, if they simplify, I I think Steve Cloves stepping into a more engaged role from just being one of the producers to co-writing, which I believe is how his role has been described for this upcoming film uh, is crucial because Steve Cloves is the person who adapted the original Harry Potter uh, novels into their movie form. So if in theory, what's being done here is JKR is writing screenplays of sorts or what I'll call even unpublished book, like an unpublished book, and Steve Cloves is adapting that for film, I think that promises a much better viewing experience for all Agreed. of us. I think what they have to do is is kind of narrow the lens and simplify a lot of stuff here. Like I think if you go into this movie, focus on a couple of different things. A, the history of the blood pact. How do we get around the blood pact? Yes. B, Queenie and Jacob. C, Newt and Tina. And D, last one, 
what I'll broadly call Theseus, the, the tension that has to exist between Theseus and the ministry, Dumbledore and the ministry, like that. I think if those are the four tent poles that kind of hold the next movie up, I think you're in a good spot. I think, because I think you can get all the other points within those, but like, I don't, I, I know the Aurelius Dumbledore Creams thing is a major thing, but I don't think you'll lead with that. I, I, I think, I think there's too much stuff happening. Like, if we get a whole nother Yusuf Kamam, the brother of the son who killed the sister who took the daughter of the ship, way too much. Yeah. I think if they narrow this down and really focus, like I was just listening, you're making a face as I'm playing with scissors in my hand. Um, I got scissors in my hand, y'all. It's whatever. Um, I think if they just narrow the lens down and say, what really matters to this story, right? What really matters. And actually, I'll probably, now that I say it out loud, I'm going to switch the Theseus bit and say Credence is the fourth. The things that really matter. Credence does, we need to what, solve Credence. To the story that I believe they're trying to tell, what truly matters. You have Grindelwald versus Dumbledore. And for the sake of this upcoming movie, the blood pact is the obstacle between them. Mm-hmm. Whether that gets resolved at the end of the movie or not, that's the number one thing they've got going on. Number two, the romances, right? Tina and Newt, whatever the hell is going on there. And then Queenie and Jacob, right? That's a core tension that exists. Um, And then number three, because I condense those two into one, number three then is, and I don't think you get resolution at the end of this next movie, but whatever is going on with Credence and his lineage and his obscurialness that's the other thing those disregard the first like two minutes of my monologue here those are the three things the the grindelwald dumbledore the romances and credence if you have any other major plot lines going on i think they've made a mistake i agree and the question is how are they committing to the five movies they initially wanted or are they going to try to clear things up and do one final and end with four. Cause I don't think they could solve it all in just the next movie. And if question. they do, if they try to solve it all in the next movie, because we know this is supposed to end with the big Dumbledore Grindelwald fight. If that's in the next movie, there's going to be too much information shoved into the next movie. It's a great question. I'm curious. Just, I don't think this necessarily answers that question. Because they've already changed things that they had initially said they were doing, like with locations and everything. Yeah, it's no longer a Brazil thing. Yeah. I'm, this doesn't answer your question. I'm just curious what other movies are coming out in the same window. I'm Googling this as we speak here. Uh, February, February, February. You can cut all this out. You can cut all this out. Um, Batman's the month before. I'm well aware. Thank you. So Morbius comes out April 1st, which is two weeks before Fantastic Beasts. Um, Sonic comes out the week before. That's... I'm not saying, I'm just listing everything. No, I know. Out. I'm just like thinking of them. I'm like, it's not going to have a strong, that it's going to be more family. That weird ambulance movie where Jake Gyllenhaal like robs the bank and then is on a manhunt in an ambulance. I've seen a trailer okay. for it like 17 times. It doesn't look very good. That comes out April 8th. Um, some movie called The Bad Guys is slated for April at some point. I don't know. 
Yeah, it doesn't Nothing doesn't too seem big like, to run it against. Yeah, yeah. Thinking overall in 2022, there are some Big Ten polls coming out that are going to have some competition. Yes. Um, but it's it doesn't look like the release window has any major movies that are going to kind of push eyeballs out of out of the secrets of Dumbledore secrets of Dumbledore theater. So, regardless, you and I will be at. Universal Orlando at the movie theater in City Walk to watch Secrets of Dumbledore. We hope to see all of you there. If you are planning on going to see Secrets of Dumbledore at Universal, uh, drop a line, Creating Magic Podcast on Instagram, Creating Magic Podcast at gmail.com if that's your preferred thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll do a little little meetup thing and by that i mean we'll take a photo i'll tell some stupid joke and then we'll go our separate ways well we might just live reactions if we find some people down there and see. that's probably smarter i, I wasn't thinking about podcast stuff. so I was just thinking about making friends yeah let's make friends and then we would love to hear your opinions afterwards great bye bye